Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you this morning. Isn't it great to have some wet weather outside again just for a little while? Hey, a couple of things. If you need a Bible this morning, we've got folk who can hand you a Bible. If you need note cards, they're available too, just to scratch some notes for yourself. And at the end of the rows are baskets, and in the baskets are these little Lent cards. And you might want to take one of these. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent. We begin a new series this morning. And this little card might be just a, a handy little reminder for you and maybe a, a way to enter into the season uh, a little differently. Uh, I'm not Nathan Oates. Um, I'm David Timms, and I usually sit over here on this side somewhere and just totally enjoy the services, and uh, I have the joy of just opening up this new series that uh, Nathan has titled, The Benefits of Temptation. He can tell you more about that a little later. But this is the first Sunday of Lent. It began on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. For those of you who are familiar with Lent, uh, maybe for those of you who are not familiar with Lent, maybe this morning we'll all uh, pick up something that would be helpful in our journey. There are two rich, wonderful, powerful stories that must not be torn apart. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each tell these two stories, and each of them put these two stories back to back. And it's totally fascinating to me. The first is the story of Jesus' baptism, and some of you will be familiar with that story. You find it in Matthew chapter 3, in Mark chapter 1, in Luke chapter 3. It's, it's all there. A short story. Jesus has traveled 100 miles down from up around the Sea of Galilee, down to a, a place in the Jordan, right down near the Dead Sea. In fact, a place where his cousin, John, is baptizing people. But it's the very place where Israel, centuries before, had come down and passed through the Jordan on dry land to enter into the promised land. And Jesus comes all the way down to have this baptism. And the Bible tells us that when John baptized him and Jesus came up out of the water, three things happened. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And then, of all things, this voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a spectacular moment. This is the story that launches Jesus' ministry. For 30 years, he's pretty much been under wraps. There hasn't been much public anything from him. And now he's ready for his ministry and it all begins with his baptism. And it's, it's, it's this beautiful story of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in this great moment. And then Jesus hears this, this statement, this declaration, this affirmation, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What a powerful statement that is. Because there are going to be some tough days ahead for Jesus. Jesus would be rejected by so many people. And finally killed as a common criminal on a cross. Would he have the stamina, would he have the drive to sustain him through the ministry over the next several years that he would engage in? It seems that you can only face that if you are absolutely certain <laughs> of who you are and how you stand. And so he hears this voice, you're my beloved son. It's like, you're my, you're my boy that I love so much. Good job. Well, well done. But then the second story kicks in, back-to-back -back stories. I think I would expect the next story to be a revival story. <laughs> 
I think I would expect the next story to be sort of the angels singing and the heavens opening and everybody just being struck dumb by what had just happened. I think I would expect the next story to be something like the day of Pentecost. After all, Jesus has just been identified as the beloved the beloved Son of God. I think this would have been a great time for a week-long party. <laughs> or maybe for Jesus to do a, I don't know, a, a speaking tour of Israel on a bus with streamers and things, right? I mean, this is like the launch of the ministry, and, and I'm totally surprised. I'm totally surprised because the next story, Matthew says, Jesus then, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. Mark says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And at the end of this 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus faces three specific temptations that we'll come to in the next few weeks. Friends, this is not what I would have expected. Jesus is here to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, and he immediately gets ushered into the wilderness. He's, he's going to tell people about the restoration of all things, and he goes into the least restored area in all of Israel. This is how he begins his ministry. And the church has long looked at that second story and seeing great potential in that story for our lives as followers of Jesus. And so for the last 1,700 years, Christians have entered into this story in a very special way, specific way, at this time of the year. It's what Lent is all about. We call the season Lent. The word just means spring, as in the season spring, <laughs> because spring is just right on our doorstep, right? And it's 40 days of fasting, and it finishes on Easter Sunday. For 1,700 years, countless people have done this. And Christians have given up various things to mimic the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness. Lent started this past Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Actually lasts 46 days if you count them, because <laughs> every Sunday you get a break. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day. Every Sunday is Resurrection Day. We don't discount that. So it's really six days on, one day off, six days on, one day off. <laughs> Most of us can kind of manage that. During the Middle Ages, the Western church encouraged fasting from eggs and dairy and meat. I don't know what much was left. Bread, I suppose. That's undergone some change. These days and for years now, I've chosen different kinds of fasts, as have many others. You might decide, hey, this is going to be a 40 days where I fast from uh, caffeine and coffee. <laughs> Uh-oh, <laughs> goodbye Starbucks, right? You leave your Starbucks card in your wallet. Some people will uh, fast from Coke, I mean the drink. Um, they'll fast from that. Um, or television. I had a friend once who said, Dave, David, I'm going to fast from TV for the next 40 days. And he came back to me in the middle of the 40 days and said, except for March Madness, <laughs> can I break the fast? <laughs> I'm an avid basketball fan. <laughs> I said, Martin, this is between you and God, not me and you. <laughs> you do what you got to do. Maybe you want to fast from late night news or social media or something else. The key is choosing something 
that will serve as a daily symbol of our seriousness and a consistent call to prayer. A sign of our seriousness, a call to prayer. I believe in Lent. For many years, it's been an annual boost to my walk with Christ. And I do think when God's people do this together, sometimes it creates a space for Him to do something quite special. Now, let's keep it in perspective. Lent Lent is not a biblical commandment. You say, well, that's that's just not for me. That's that's 100% fine. Lent doesn't save us. It's not essential for Christian discipleship. It doesn't earn us special status in the kingdom of God. It won't turn us into spiritual giants. It doesn't let us start to bargain with God if things aren't going our way. If we fast at all, it's because we conclude that Christ is worthy of our sacrificial attention in this way. And we do it because it just creates space. It doesn't obligate God. It creates space in our lives for Him to shape us and perhaps speak to us. So we observe Lent not because we have to, but because we choose to. Simple as that. In short, it's an annual practice, 40 days, a way to clear some of the clutter in our lives and become more attentive to God. Ever feel like uh, God doesn't speak to you? Do you ever feel distant from God? Do you ever feel like your soul is just a little spiritually dry? Join the club. Then Lent might be for you. So with that said, let's jump to the story very quickly. It's a short story. I'm only going to deal with the first part of it because there are three simple elements It's 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. Pretty straightforward. There's something special about the number 40 in the Bible. It's often the number of testing. If you're familiar with Scripture, you you will know some of the stories where this number keeps popping up. The great flood was rained. The deluge was 40 days and 40 nights, and God flooded the earth. You might remember that Moses, before he was called by God to lead Israel out of Egypt, spent 40 years in Midian, 40 years of preparation. You might remember that as they came out of Israel, they sent spies into Canaan. Those spies went up there and spent 40 days looking around the land to see, will we be able to take the land from these giants or not? And then they came back and said, I don't think we can do this, right? And therefore, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around, waiting for God to, waiting for a generation to pass and God to lead them into a promised land. Moses would spend 40 nights, days and nights on Mount Sinai before God would give him the law, the Ten Commandments. Later on, Goliath would taunt the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the warriors of Israel for 40 days. Elijah would fast for 40 days on and off. Jonah went and said to Nineveh, 40 days and you better repent (laughs) or things are not going to go well for you. 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. And then Jesus at the start of his ministry goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Our lives can be dramatically shaped by a a single moment in time, by a single point, by by a, a, a single event. But there's something that happens in our lives over longer periods too. They also have a place. They can be important. They are significant. What Eugene Peterson once called 
he called the, the, described uh, discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. That's what makes Lent meaningful. It's 40 days. And most of us can make a change for a day or two. If I said, hey, what about this afternoon we just pray and then hope for great things? And we go, sure, I could do that after lunch. I've got a couple of minutes. <laughs> Well, that'd be an easy ask, but hey, how about we take the next 40 days and press into God a little more deeply for 40 days? You ever noticed how often New Year's resolutions are done and dusted by the end of January? <laughs> 40 days will stretch us a bit, but it creates space for God. And then it's fasting. This story about Jesus is a story of fasting. We don't talk about fasting terribly often. It's culturally strange, unless you're on a diet, <laughs> right? In which case, you're trying to lose some weight or something like that. We just don't talk about fasting. When we're constantly saying yes to our desires, it can seem odd to say no. But fasting is all about making our, our appetites and our impulses uh, yield to our will rather than dominate our will. You can easily test whether your appetites have taken the ascendancy. Here's how. How do you feel when you have to miss a meal? <laughs> do you get hangry? <laughs> do you find that difficult? Are you grumpy? How do you feel when you have to get up early to travel for, for work or, or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it's to catch a flight somewhere? How does that make you feel? Do you complain? Do you grizzle? How do you feel when you can't watch your favorite TV show some evening because somebody else wants to watch it or something goes wrong? Do you get frustrated? Or mad? How do you feel when you can't find Wi-Fi access for your phone or your iPad? You're in a place where there just isn't access. Ladies, you'll have this next weekend up at Del Oro. And some of you will just find, I can't even fast from my phone for a day. And you'll jump in the car, you'll drive down to Nevada City where you can find some Wi-Fi access. And you'll, you'll be connected again to the world and you'll breathe easy. How do you feel... When you get a surprisingly small helping of fries to go with your burger. <laughs> I paid for more. Do you complain to the server? Do you call out the manager? How do you feel when you think your home is too small, too hot, too cold? The haircut is just not perfect. Friends, if, if you get irritable, impatient, upset, or even obnoxious, <laughs> God forbid... When you can't get exactly what you want, you, you might want to try fasting. Because when I get that way, it tells me that my appetites and my impulses are controlling me and I'm not controlling them. Something is spiritually vulnerable within me in those moments. So Lent is both an outward journey and an inward journey. On the one hand, it's just this outward journey. It's I'm going to give up something or other that I feel will be significant and make a statement and make an opportunity for God. It's, a, it's the outward thing. But Lent is always also this inward journey. It's a journey into ourselves where we can learn so much about ourselves. It's amazing how much we're driven by these appetites and comforts and pleasures. And what happens when they are taken from us? Ancient Christian believers saw fasting not simply as an emotional reset, but, but as a spiritual battle. Because what some of us will find if we enter into Lent in the way I'm describing is that the tantrum-prone two-year-old is still very much alive and well within us. And that person will emerge. 
Friends, if we never fast, we may take far longer to uncover our self-centeredness, which means that we will take far longer to grow into more authentic Christ-likeness. Now, I'm an advocate for this. I think it's a spiritual blessing and a spiritual practice worth considering. Finally, there's this third piece. 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And here's the reality. Some of us get to choose the wilderness. And sometimes the wilderness chooses us. We might enter by choice into a season of prayer and fasting. And some of us will will choose to do that. Voluntary wilderness, if you like. But oftentimes, the wilderness comes to us and we are not at all volunteers. I'm thinking of the wilderness of grief. I'm thinking of the wilderness of suffering, the wilderness of shame, the wilderness of confusion and uncertainty, maybe the wilderness of fear or disappointment. For some of us, it's a wilderness of loneliness that just seems to be a lot longer than 40 days. For some of us, the wilderness is in our marriage. For others of us, the wilderness is in the workplace. I have a dear friend in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, who suffered a significant stroke a couple of years ago. The stroke uh, incapacitated him in a significant way. Ken was a faculty member. He taught at the university level for 10 or 15 years. That's how I knew him. But his speech became slurred. His tongue just couldn't quite wrap around words anymore. The mind is good, but the body won't cooperate. And it has been in every sense of the word a wilderness experience for him and his wife. I was talking to Ken a week or two back on the phone. We, we, we do that. And I could hardly believe my ears. Ken spent 30 minutes, 30 minutes telling me how important it is to trust God. <laughs> 30 minutes telling me that faith is everything. When we don't know what's happening or why it's happening, we've just got to trust God, he kept saying over and over and over. And then this, he said, I have been so bitter about this stroke that this stroke is actually a blessing. Linda was apparently sitting in the same room and listening into our conversation because Ken will put it on speaker so that she can help him with words when he can't quite find the word for me. And she could hardly believe it any more than I could. You see, the wilderness can be constructive, it can be destructive, it can be helpful, it can be harmful. And whether we make the wilderness or not, it can be the making of us or not. You see, the, the wilderness story in the life of Jesus is strategic precisely because it immediately follows his baptism. It establishes for any of us who would be followers of Jesus that our baptism doesn't protect us from the wilderness. It equips us for the wilderness. The story, of, the story reminds us that these seasons of wilderness 
can form us or deform us. That seasons of dryness can actually lead to seasons of flourishing. We can learn that the wilderness is not our destination, but it does belong in our journey. And sometimes, by God's grace, the wilderness is just a precursor. It's the warm-up for promised land living. It is the launch pad for the next vocational season. It is the crucible for purging, renewal, and transformation in our lives. You see, at various points throughout the Old Testament, we find the Garden of Eden contrasted with desert images. And Isaiah chapter 35 captures this absolutely beautifully. It paints a glorious picture of God's restoration of all things in the end. And it doesn't matter whether we're in the wilderness by choice or not right now. Hear these words. Isaiah, anticipating the future, says, The wilderness and the desert will rejoice. The desert will shout for joy and blossom. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with joy and jubilation. He says, strengthen the exhausted, make the feeble strong. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened. The ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Those who limp will leap like a deer. And the tongue, I think of my friend Ken, the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground will become springs of water. Friends, the desert is not to be feared, but to be embraced. The desert fathers and mothers of the 3rd through the 5th century, they turned testing into learning, they turned learning into wisdom, and they turned wisdom into formation, and they were different. 500 years ago, a fellow by the name of Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, established what has been called the, the Daily Examine, which countless Christians have, have, have practiced ever since for the last 500 years and one of the parts of that exam is to, to take time at the end of the day and simply ask this one question. In what way was God present in your consolation, your joy, and your desolation, your heartache today? And every day when we pause and we say, how was God present in our consolation and our desolation, suddenly we find that we are engaged in an activity of profound formation. Desolation needs not be our enemy. In the heat and the deprivation, desolation slows us down. It, it exposes deeper issues within us and by God's grace becomes a teacher. And we discover that God is at work in all circumstances. Friends, there's a little twist here we've got to finish with this morning. Because I'm gonna, I should probably say spoiler alert, but I want to jump to the end of the story for just a moment. Because there's a twist in the final line of the story. It's the last line that gives me courage to face any wilderness. And Matthew is the one who tells us this most explicitly. He says, then the devil left Jesus, and behold, 
angels came and ministered to Jesus. Behold, look, says Matthew. Angels arrived and tended to Jesus. He needed ministry and the angels did not drop the ball. Friends, the the wilderness can be a place of severe testing. It's no picnic in the park. It can stretch us to a breaking point. But there are two truths this morning for every one of us. The Spirit was with Jesus in that place. And angels came and ministered to him. These stories are not just curiosities. The, The ancient writers tell us the story so we can enter the story ourselves. And I close with this. If you've said yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have felt God's love for you and suddenly find yourself thrust into a wilderness, be assured this morning. Be assured the Spirit is with you and God will send His angels to minister to you. Take courage. Stand firm, be strong in the Lord, hold the line. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, may this story that has shaped the lives of countless believers before us guide and shape our lives afresh this year in 2023. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your presence and your blessing. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that is ours. Help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith, that we might know you more. We pray in his name. Amen.